0: That is good. Shall we pray together as we turn to thinking about the gentleness of God? So we continue to use John Stott's prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that this day may, we may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, we pray that this day we may take up our crosses and follow you. Holy Spirit, we pray that this day you will fill us with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in our lives love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. In your name we pray. Amen. So here's our quick run through, breakdown, recap. The love of God, we know when we know that we are ones in whom Christ dwells and delights, and we have a sense of our belovedness. Jeff, do you think you could turn the lights back on? I forgot to stay back there to do that. Uh, So the love of God known in our belovedness. When we know the joy of the Lord, we know and express gladness about being alive in all kinds of circumstances, in good circumstances, in bad circumstances. I talked about this being the fruit that we eat when we want to resist the lies of the evil one, who tells us that we are not worthy, who tells us that it is not worth keep, to keep persisting, who tells us to give up, and it is the joy of the Lord that becomes our strength. And then we considered knowing the Holy Spirit's peace, which Paul says guards our hearts and our minds as we go into all kinds of circumstances. We can enter into and be uncomfortable because we know we have the protection of God's peace, that there is nothing that can change our status and our place with God. And so that peace passes all understanding. And then we talked about the patience of God, the patience of God who continues to be present with us even when we ignore his callings, even when we ignore his invitations, even when we persist in our disobedience. God proves himself to be patient with us. And out of God's patience, we finally come to know God's kindness, And it is God's kindness, the scripture says, that leads us to repentance. It is God's kindness that drove, that's right, I like it, it looks good. It's God's kindness that drove God to come to earth to save us. Kindness is the language of salvation, the gift of God for us. And then we looked at the goodness of God, or the generosity of God, which we see in the world around us, and which we see in Scripture, the way that God provides and protects and gives us what we need. And doesn't do so in a utilitarian way, but does so in an abundant way. We just saw the pictures that prove it. And then last week, we considered the faithfulness of God, that the Scripture is the story of the faithfulness of God. From the beginning, God promised. God made a good world. A new heaven and a new earth awaits us. And God will faithfully provide that new heaven and new earth. And in the meantime, God will faithfully provide for his people. God will faithfully rescue his people. God will faithfully keep covenant and all of his promises to his people. Because he has said and he has kept all of his promises. And that is the story of scripture. Because in Jesus, all of God's yeses are present and lived. So today, we look at God's gentleness. And so we're going to use these little lambs for gentleness. It seemed like a good image to use. And I was pretty surprised when i encounter the definition of gentleness that's given in for the excuse me for the word that's used in the greek uh, and so i think you might be too so i want to do an exercise together before i reveal it so i want to hear from different kinds of people in our church what our definitions of gentleness are so you can describe an activity or an action or you can talk about a time when you were told to be gentle and why you might have been told to be gentle. Like, I just want to fill out what we think gentleness is generally, okay? So are you ready over here? I see a hand. Okay, so you don't retaliate. What else does gentleness mean to us? Right, because if you uh, just did what you normally do, you might hurt. So uh, let's describe that as putting the need of another as the focus. Does that make sense? So when you're told to, to gently pet a pet, It's so that you don't hurt them. You have to make your action fit the person or animal that you're interacting with. Okay, that's that's a nice shorter. Aware of others' fragility. And what do you mean by, uh, like, explain that a little bit more. Uh, uh, So what's gentle about that? I'm going to keep, just to get us to pull out the piece that's... when you are judging let I'll, ask this, I'll say it this way when you are judging what are you doing yeah so you're keeping them you're keeping them away so when you're non-judging you're opening up the opportunity to be closer so you're inviting it's almost like a, gentleness is an invitingness to be present Okay, so um, withholding your own power. So she said not using force when you could use force. All right, Ted and then Sandy. So what can be gentle? Like what does it mean to be gentle with those things? And what's the intent when you're being gentle? And why is that good? Uh, so making another feel safe with our words, tone et cetera. So good. That's a nice non-threatening is a good summary there. All right, and one more, Sandy? OK, great. So does anybody else have something to add to this list? Michelle? Yeah, so that's a little bit of the awareness of others' fragility, right? But it's also a nurturing. Gentleness is a, is a, a word that's described with, like, when you think of someone who is gentle, right, it's usually somebody who is nurturing, isn't it? Yeah. Sounds like a hug to me. <laughs> <laughs> Although those of us who deal with chronic pain, sometimes hugs aren't gentle. Yeah, even if the thought might be. So uh, what about uh, other terms that we use? Like this is the one that first came to my mind. Uh, when we talk about somebody having a gentle spirit, what do we mean? They're caring, okay? And they're loving. That's good, because the first thing I thought of was like, oh, you got be, you got to be careful with them. That's the first thing I thought of. So this is great. That's better. Those are better answers than mine. <laughs> okay so now what I want us to do for a minute is I just want to think with what stories about God do we know from scripture that show that this is who God is okay so is there a time where Jesus didn't hurt other people back name one of them Before the high priest, the whole passion narrative is about Jesus not returning. Painful things done to him in word and in action, right? The whole story, the whole passion narrative. What about times when Jesus is aware of other people's fragility? This one might be a little more. Hmm. So when, uh, that's John 8, when uh, the woman who's caught in adultery is brought before Jesus by the Pharisees. And he is gentle and aware of her position and handles that situation in a very, in a way that honors and respects her, doesn't he? Yeah. What about you? Okay. Yeah, so in that story with Lazarus, Jesus comes, and first, with his words and his tone, uh, he cries with them, right? He weeps with them before raising Lazarus from the dead. So he makes them feel safe, because remember, his Lazarus sister says, if you had been here, they're angry and they're upset, and by Jesus weeping with them, Jesus shows that he is present with them, And he's aware uh, that they need to feel safe in this very, very, very sad and, like, lots of fear in them. And by weeping, Jesus makes himself present and makes them feel safe with him. Yeah. Okay, so we'll mark that one, that we got a story there, and we got a story there. Uh, We got a story there. Now, what about a time when Jesus was non-judging or inviting? So it's the key is okay. And with the Samaritan woman. So this the Samaritan woman woman the story goes that's John chapter 4 that Jesus meets her at the well and starts talking to her and it turns out that he knows all the things about her life. He knows some things that would make her an outcast in her community. And even the fact that he's talking with her, she's the Samaritan, which is not a normal group of people that the Jews would interact with. And so he is being in dialogue with her, and in fact empowers her to go spread the news about him because of their encounter. And so Jesus doesn't judge her based on the story of her life, but tells her the truth and challenges her to meet him as the Savior, as the water of life. Drink from me and you'll never be thirsty again, right? Yeah. What about a time when Jesus withholds his own power? Yeah, again, the passion narrative. When Jesus is on the cross... Uh, he withholds his own power. In fact, the incarnation, the fact that Jesus comes and holds back pieces of himself, his divinity, right? He's fully God, and yet he says, I don't know the time or place when the new heaven and new earth will come. And He works within his limitations of being human, because he's fully divine and fully human. He withholds his own, he empties himself to do this for us. So he withholds his own power for us. And what about just overall, right? The wrath of God is not visited upon us anymore because of Jesus Christ. So God is still capable of that kind of power, and yet withholds it for our good. And then what about a time when Jesus is nurturing? A different one than one we've already provided. Hmm. Yeah, so so this is an interesting one because the disciples say, and it takes place in a couple of places in the in the gospels. Or there's a couple different versions of it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They all have a version of it. And every single version of it, the story goes that the, the the children are being brought to Jesus. Even little babies are being brought to Jesus, and the disciples don't like this. They rebuke the parents and the children that are bringing their kids forward, like saying to them, "Don't come, don't don't bother Jesus with this." And Jesus says, no, no, let these children come to me. Let them come to me. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And he says, if you don't have faith like these children, this is for you to learn. So let these children come to me. Go ahead, Catherine. Hmm. So Peter, you remember, during that awful night when Jesus is being brought before the Sanhedrin, uh, denies knowing who God is, denies Jesus three times. After having said, I'll never deny Jesus. I'll never deny you, Lord. I'll never deny you. And yet, that's exactly what he does. And then after Jesus is raised from the dead and meets them again on the beach, he pulls... Peter aside and he calls him by his name from when he called him and made him a disciple, right? He calls him Simon Peter again. Simon, son of John I think. He calls him Simon and he says do you love me? It's like that calling back of Peter. That that work of forgiveness and reconciliation and sending forward to not be guided by guilt and shame anymore. Three times Jesus says do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Three times. That nurturing back of that identity and that call in Peter. Anyone have a particular story of uh, that they like about Jesus being caring and loving? So tell me more about that, Sandy, because I'm not thinking about it off the top of my head. Okay, so that's caring for her because it was her only way of surviving. Yeah. Yep. Okay, one more story. Go ahead. Hmm. Yeah, so God making one of Joseph's brothers keep them. Keep them from taking Joseph's life. And instead, throwing him into a pit and selling him as a slave in Egypt, that is a sign of a caring God, believe it or not. Right? It doesn't always feel like it, but that is the sign of a God who is involved and caring about those things. And look what ends up happening. God turns those bad events into... The salvation of his people because then Joseph's family comes to Egypt because they don't have enough food, and Joseph is in a place of power where he can make sure that in the famine they survive. So, the caring, loving work of God to continue to weave all of the stories and the activities of his people, sinful or not, into his story. The gentle God. Who weaves those together yeah if you knit too tightly it does not get pretty but if you are gentle and at ease it looks a lot better doesn't it those of us who know (laughs) and also uh, you're less stressed when you do it so now here's so that's a picture of gentleness that we have in our mind all the time and god fits jesus in particular fits all of these pictures of gentleness Now here is the definition of the Greek word that is listed in the fruit of the Spirit. Are you ready? The definition of gentleness in the Greek word is the quality of not being impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. The quality of not being impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. So synonyms for that are humility, meekness, courtesy, and considerateness. So it fits, it kind of fits, right, with all of these things, but it adds another layer to it. This idea that Jesus is not consumed with his own importance. When I heard that, or when I learned that, I immediately thought of maybe that's why Jesus kept telling all of the people that he healed, don't tell anyone. Because this isn't about his importance, it's about the healing and the restoration of those people. Like, that's always been such a confusing thing to me. Like, why does Jesus keep saying, don't tell anyone? But maybe it's simply because he is gentle. And he doesn't care. Like the Holy Spirit, we've talked about this before. The Holy Spirit is the most humble being we know. The Holy Spirit does not cry out for credit to be given for its good work of weaving all of these stories together. And yet, it's something good for us to do, right? But it's not a demanding God. Yes, God is described as being jealous and wanting us to acknowledge him and worship him alone, but it's not because God is full of himself. It is because God knows what's actually best for us, and these practices of worship are shaping us to not be self-absorbed ourselves, are shaping in us the ability to grow in gentleness, to be focused on the needs of others. We see it in the story with the children, right? If Jesus was full of his own self-importance, why would he spend time with people who will not remember the encounter? But instead, he says, let them come to me. And if Jesus was full of his own self-importance, he would not have had a conversation like this with the Syrophoenician woman. So if you want to read along... Uh, This is found in Matthew chapter 15. Beginning at verse 21. I don't have the page number in the Bible, sorry. So this is a Canaanite woman, right? So she's not part of the Jewish community and Jesus has left this left and gone to where outside of the normal Jewish community so this is verse 21 Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting have mercy on me Lord son of David my daughter is tormented by a demon but he did not answer her at all And his disciples came and urged him, saying, "'Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us.' And he answered, "'I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel.' But she came and knelt before him, saying, "'Lord, help me.' He answered, "'It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs.' And she said, "'Yes, Lord.' Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table." And then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the word of the Lord. So on a first reading, this does not sound very gentle, does it? Like, he he basically calls her a dog. In front of his disciples. And I think that that's the key here. In front of other people, Jesus lets himself look like a jerk because this is not about his self importance. This is about telling the grand story of what he's about and letting the disciples see that it does not just belong to them. This is about God letting himself look foolish for the good and the benefits and the inclusion and safety of others who will not find it otherwise. And so God humbles himself by making himself look awful, not caring about what the opinion of those who are witnessing this moment might be, And instead, welcoming all of God's children into the family. So the gentleness of Jesus in this story is that he is not full of his own sense of self-importance, but is instead driven by an awareness of our needs, our fragility, by being inviting and non, non-judging, even though it sounds like he's judging, you can read that as though he's saying, like, well, this is the common thing that's believed about you, you know. And we need to prove that. He proves it wrong, right, in his conversation with the woman. Withholding his own power, making another feel safe, and nurturing the faith of the woman. It is her faith that she is worthy of God's work in her life. Her faith that God would care enough to be at work in her life that Jesus sees and says is the fruit of the gentleness that she is experiencing from him that will play out in her daughter being healed. Does that make sense? And over and over, Jesus is said to be called out for eating with those sinners and those tax collectors and over and over Jesus says that I came for the sick I came for those who need me over and over he is not concerned with making his name great but doing the will of his father the will of his father to provide all of the promises of God and his faithfulness So gentleness of God is that he is not absorbed with himself but is completely in love with us. The gentleness of God is that he will not smite us and smote us but will patiently and kindly and gently give us the grace and the mercy we need to find ourselves In the fold of his family. Psalm 23 is the picture of the good shepherd who leads us beside quiet waters, who restores our soul, who makes a table for us before our enemies, who gently, gently leads us to places where we are surprised to find ourselves, who gently Gently leads us to a place we did not know we were being led until we arrive there and witness the work of God. Jesus loved with a perfect love and has showed us the way to be gentle and con- concerned for our neighbors. And the summary of the law is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So, to not think of yourself more highly than we ought, but to humble ourselves in the way of our Savior. So, as you think about where you see the gentleness of God, who are the people who teach you meekness and humility? Where is an example in this world of someone who is not consumed with their own importance but raises up another? How do you know the gentleness of God? That's what you're going to put on these guys. All right? Let's pray. Even in the way that you called your disciples, Jesus, we are reminded of your gentleness. And that you called people who were not the smartest, were not the most talented, were not the ones that the community looked to for spiritual leadership, but who were just normal people who had missed their chance, who had not proven themselves to be good enough. And you said, come. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. You chose to show them to train them to be with them and to equip them with the story and you took the risk of us getting that story wrong with the way that we live our lives and the way that we tell your story and even that is a mark of your gentleness that you are not consumed, that we get it exactly right, but you are patient with us. And so we are humbled. We are humbled by your gentleness and your humility, that you, the creator of everything that is, could be so meek. Teach us that way teach us, Jesus, to love and be kind and gentle, just as you are. In your name we pray.